Hello to all those that have found us and our podcast, a 30,000 foot view. Just one of a stream of new podcasts coming out of the team at the GOAT Agency. Uh, here we'll be discussing both marketing and business where normally, uh, norma- where normality of the situation seems to be here and brand managers and advertisers are slowly realising what to say. And we'll be speaking to those leading the discussions from the world of marketing and advertising. I'm Sam Fowler, a senior account manager here at the GOAT Agency and lead the insight and of course the knowledge very much show is the uh, one of our founders uh, mr aaron shepherd hello aaron how are you I'm very well, thanks. I can I can assure you I will not be leading the knowledge on on this podcast. Well, you say you say that, but I think this is going to be a really nicely rounded uh, podcast because, of course, the startings uh, of of goat, uh, you know, the foundations of goat comes from sport. I've worked in sport radio for over nearly four or five years now as well, and manage the sports stuff at Goat currently. Um, so quite aptly, our, our our guest this week um, fits in really well, and we should be able to have a somehow have a nice rounded conversation between the three of us. Uh, joining us, uh, a leader in the digital sport industry, uh, Mr. Richard Ayres, founder and CEO of Seven League. Hello, Richard. Good afternoon, and how are you? Very well, very well. Where do we find you in lockdown at the moment? Uh, I'm in sunny North London, uh, standing in the spare bedroom, as you do, um, you know, the or, or the office, as you might call it if you're being fancy. But I think, you know, I have to just keep making sure that I don't have any small children running through the background whenever I'm doing a video conference. <laughs> it seems to be the nerve-wracking thing that everyone finds themselves is, where are the kids at the moment while I'm doing this call? Because um, no one wants to be that guy on bit off of BBC News, I guess. Well, I've, I've, ta- I've taken to wearing a tie... I've taken to wearing a tie, which has <laughs> never happened in my entire professional career. Uh, but the one, and it was partly to sort of smarten myself up and maintain standards and all the rest of it. it was partly also, if I'm honest, just to indicate to the kids that when daddy's wearing a tie, get out of the room. Yeah, it means it means daddy means business. Get out, step back. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, as I said, like most of us have have a background knowledge of sport and worked in sport. Um, uh, you yourself, of course, a leader in sort of the um, digital world around sport as well. Um, I guess uh, to build off of an analogy that um, Mr. Shepard uh, mentioned in one of our Q&A sessions in the company last week um, was that um, even when the Romans had a, a lull or a, uh, you know, there was a time of great, uh, you know, despair, they, they release bread and circuses and bread and games. Um, and I think that we find ourselves in that situation at the moment of how important is sport to our mental health right now as a society, I guess. And off the back of that, I guess, to the economy even itself, where do we find ourselves with with sport at the moment and, and where do we go? Well, there's been... It's really, it's a really difficult question. I think all of us in sport get a little bit tongue-tied when we're talking about the importance of sport, because you know you're conscious that people don't die, you know, and at the moment, an awful lot of the stuff that's going on in our society is, you know, even more critical. But as soon as you start thinking about, as you say, mental health and then the economic well-being, that's when you, you know, sport plays a really big part. I mean, one of the big challenges is that sport and politics have often been seen as two things that absolutely must not mix. Um, and and therefore, you know, I mean, even if you think about the way it's dealt with in news, sports news is seen as this sort of almost the separate fun bit at the end of the at the real news that's been going on. Um, and you know, the the Sport England numbers. So if you just talk about England, uh, Sport England say that there are four hundred thousand people uh, directly uh, employed by sport in this country. 
which is a hell of a lot. And then you add on all the indirects on top of that, all the, you know, caterers and the, the pubs and everything else that sort of benefits from sport. And, you know, in a year, in a normal year at least, that would be £39 billion contributed to the – and that's just England. So, it's you know, it's pretty sizable. Um, and therefore, you then – everybody says, oh, okay, so it is all right to talk about the business angle. And what happens then is – it all gets polarised around football because our, you know, UK society in particular, very, very football dominated. Um, the media focus on it. The, you know, what's going to happen with the Premier League? And everybody talks about that. And it, it really is the way I've been phrasing it um, internally has been: you either have the sort of sport as entertainment business, which has one kind of reaction. So that's Premier League. That's businesses that are fundamentally TV rights focused and and usually pretty big bucks. Or the other side of the sporting equation is those that are their business is focused around energizing people. So it's about participation. It's about, you know, and, and by this, I mean more the sort of the Olympic sports, you know, the archeries and judos and badminton and whatever. Um, and they're the ones who are actually they're in a really critical place. So, you know, that, yes, there's massive general economic impact with Premier League, but there's life-threatening, you know, economic impact when it comes to any of the medium and small size sports. I'm saying small, actually. I mean, you probably put rugby union, rugby league, cricket. I mean, they all fall into that. You know, they're pretty threatened. It, the, the separation seems to be so clearly around around TV, um, and essentially, if because all people are really what what I'm feeling is a uh, uh, from sort of people, not from necessarily sports rights holders and stuff like that, but just from consumers is a a desperate desire to get sport back on TV, almost more of a desire to get it back on TV than to get the participation sport back together. Um, you know, I, I keep hearing about people talking about getting uh, football back on the TV, but nobody's talking about getting five aside, um, you know, pitches back open. No one's talking about getting Sunday League back going. So is that really what you see the split between how rights holders are acting is are they dependent on TV or not? And is it much worse if they're not dependent on TV at this point, if they're dependent on physical attendance, for example? Yeah, the, the, I mean that broadly, that is the biggest divider. Are you on TV or not? And that'll depend on the, the size of your revenue. But, you know, when I talk to the Premier League clubs, the, the, obviously the TV money not coming in is massive impact for them, but also... They can't be selling their season tickets. They should be in the middle of getting season ticket renewals going, but you, you can't do that. Um, you know, the merchandise will be non-existent. The sponsors will be standing there saying, hold on a minute, what on earth am I paying for? I mean, every every aspect of their business is uh, almost non-existent, really. Yeah. it's And how much are you seeing a sort of let's wait until things come back versus let's try and innovate during this period. You know, what? there's obviously some things, you know, if, you, if you're the Olympics or, or, or the Euros, you've just got to delay, right? The things have to be delayed. Are you seeing that sports rights holders are basically just waiting for it to come back or are you starting to see them innovate into esports and other things that maybe they can do right now? I think that the after the initial shock, so I think there was a certain amount of, well, this isn't really going to affect us, is it? Or at least not in that way kind of reaction at the very beginning. And then and then it clearly was as we went into lockdown and then everybody went into emergency crisis mode. And you've had a month of that now. So now, for sure, everybody, small sports all the way through to the biggest, are 
um, working out how to do both. They, they have two teams running. One is saying, well, what happens when we come back? You know, what are the closed game environments and how are we doing fan engagement and how are we bringing audio in or not bringing audio in, you know? And then what's going to happen with shifting the seasons and, and uh, completing them next year or moving tournaments and what is going to happen with rights contracts and what will be the impact on sponsorship and, you know, like all of those long-term impacts. But they're also trying to iterate very short-term. Um, now, th- this is, I mean, the, the reason why it's fascinating from, I guess, our point of view is those organizations who have pushed themselves down the digital transformation journey and as a result become much more agile and able to iterate, they're the ones who, not surprisingly, are reacting better because they're just able to get more stuff signed off. They're able to adapt, adapt, adapt the whole time. Um, and the ones the ones who are all very kind of, you know, oh, I'm going to fold my arms and wait until it all settles down, who are about that anyway, they're the ones who are then actually really struggling to kind of go, shit, now we need to accelerate. How do we change? How do we change? You know, And it's changing everything as well. It's changing consumer behaviors. It's changing their, you know, even their back office systems. It's sort of almost every aspect of their business. The, the adoption curve is something they're all now rapidly sort of um, being driven up or along or you know through the curve as, as fast as they possibly can yeah so i mean i i've i've been i've been banging the the obviously the digital drum for the last five years you've been banging it for a lot longer than that and and you know you you are sort of mr digital sport and and have, have been you know fundamentally pushing clients towards digital for a long time are you're just saying then you're seeing sort of a uh, you know the ones that have done it already are obviously in a better position, which makes a lot of sense. Are you seeing regret at the top of these organisations? The people that did make the decision to to cross their arms and not to do it, are they already seeing? Oh God, we've made a mistake here. We should have done this. Or are they still sort of burying their heads in the sand a little bit? Uh, I, I I don't think it's either of those reactions. I think that the the organisations that have been institutionally slow or lethargic at least in terms of grabbing hold of um digital transformation they they might now in their heart of hearts think "Ooh, i wish we'd been a little more ahead of this but most of them frankly are still in a place where they're they're just you know there's no time for reflection at the moment it's just okay let's just get it done you know i i was anecdote um anecdote wise i was speaking to a guy who sells um one of the services, I think it's Microsoft Teams um, in uh, in Europe, and he said he was doing, you know, in the space of a week, he was doing like a year's worth of subscriptions. And that was because he's selling, I think in his case, largely to financial institutions and, and you know, insurance brokers and, and the like. Um, and he said the most interesting thing was not only were they buying loads and so clearly signing off budget, but previously they'd listed, you know, as long as your arm, all the objections, all the technical objections, all the infrastructure reasons why it just couldn't work. And those objections, when he said, well, you know, what about all the problems? The answer was, look, we'll get over them. We'll get over them. So it is it is forcing us as a society, but also businesses to rapidly evolve. And that's you know, I don't think anybody's you know got any recriminations about. Oh, damn, we should have done this two years ago. I mean, they might they might do afterwards once we get through the other side. But at the moment, they're just dealing with right. What is the reality of? Some cases, it's in survival mode, you know, and in others, it's about okay, how do we how do we profit? I mean, a lot of them are putting out streaming services. You know, a lot of them are doing 
um, you know, replays of classic matches or, or, or here's all the moments you all love. I mean, you can't count the number of streams there are of things. I mean, that's, that's not just sports, is it? And that's entertainment as well. Lots of theatrical and all sorts of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, it's across everything. So if it's, it, it's too early for them to really, I, I, I get that. That makes sense. Too early for them to do a full analysis. Do you, do you think that in three years time, the world will be more digital than it would have been pre-COVID? Like, to what extent do you think, on a macro point of view, this will really push the world forward? Or do you think maybe it won't have as big an impact as as people are thinking right now? And, you know, when we come out of this, people will try and go back to what it was. Do you think we will go backwards once we come out of this again? Or how do you think sort of the long-term change of this is? I, I, I I think it'll be in six months. I think it's that that quick um, because the, the key thing I think is the human habits changing habits being broken um, and already we're only whatever it is six seven weeks in and already depending on where you are in Europe of course but uh, all, already we've got senior executives who used to loathe a video conference now saying this makes perfect sense. Like, you know, why, do, why don't we do this more often? You know, why aren't we doing this on a regular basis? And yes, I can, um, you know, talk to people uh, and manage my team remotely and all the rest of it. So, you know, you're already seeing behaviours change significantly. So I think if we look six months to a year down the line, you're going to see businesses will have changed a lot. Some, some stuff won't get taken forward. But um, we in Seven League, we've put together a little, you know, project team whose job it is is to look at our own behaviour changes and, what are the good things we want to take forward and what are the things actually from the old world that we're happy to let go of? And, I, I'm, and we're not the only ones doing that. There's loads of people who are you know, aware that in this transformational period, you've got such an opportunity to transform the business in positive ways. And it would be just criminal to, to not grab hold of those. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that. I completely agree. We're, we're likewise, we're just, it's almost a blank page, isn't it? We're starting to to sort of redraw. You know, one of the things from us is 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 obviously around offices, and I'm sure you'll have experienced. You know, I, I, to what extent were you and the team able to, or were your team able to work from home prior to this um, happening? We we've always had a sort of pretty flexible approach to you know requests, but our default setting has always been it's generally better if we're all in the office together, you know, and, and if we, and of course some people are traveling from afar or, you know, whatever personal circumstances. So there was a fair degree of flexibility or being pretty flexible, but the default setting was definitely, you know, let's all be in, you know, in the same physical space. And, um, and that's one of the things that will change. So we will, we think, I mean, it's even a bit early to say, I imagine having spoken to our management team that we do think we're going to need an office we do think that we'll have a core team back in there. But we, in the week, we um, shut down the office a week to ten, maybe 10 days before the lockdown kicked in. And even during that uh, that period in the run-up, we started doing things where, you know, the guys running the NBA account would be in uh, in the morning and the guys running the, um, you know, the FIFA stuff would be in the afternoon or, or, you know, half of that team would be in and they'd be separating, you know, across the two rooms of our office. So they were physically spaced out, you know, so that kind those kind of behaviors, I can totally see us doing that. You know, I can completely see us having a much more working from home type scenario. Yeah. Same for us. Um, You've got offices, and we've only got London. You've got offices around the world though, right? We do. Yeah. We're London, New York, Singapore. Um, 
we we've actually we're very very lucky with our London office. We've got a big London office. I don't know if you've been in there, but it's you know top of Finsbury Square. It's you know fourteen thousand square feet. Costs a lot of money. Glorious. It is glorious. But that's our lease is actually up there at the end of May, and literally before we went into lockdown, I was like seconds away from signing our new lease. And so we're actually not going to have a London office from the end of May. Um, and we're happy with that. You know, deliberately we won't. And, you know, what we what we then go into after that might be more of sort of meeting venues, you know, spread around London because we are all over London. I'm in Southwest. Harry is in yeah, East. Nick's yeah. in North. So, like, you know, it's an hour and 15 minutes commute for me each way. Um, you know, so it's we're very much opening up to, well, what? What do we really need? I mean, in the US, we have an office in New York, but we probably only meet, I'd say, less than 10% of our clients. Like, we've had clients that we've had for a year and a half in San Francisco. Nick flew there two or three months ago, um, and they were like, it's fine, let's just jump on a call. Like, we don't need to meet. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of different over there. Whereas, you know, I personally, I, I look at the travel I've done over the last you know, four or five years, 10 years, but really, you know, even if I just look at last year, the amount of three, four day trips I did for like a two hour meeting, which just feels so unnecessary now, you know, we're, we're working together on a, on a client, which I won't name. And it, 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 you know, we were looking at big, you know, the constant trips over and all this sort of stuff, you know, God, it'd be so much easier if we could get a virtual relationship with the odd face to face, but you know, I think the amount of, of time and money that can be saved on traveling, if we're happy to go virtual on, on, on contact, I think it'd be huge. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think I think that's one of the things that will come in immediately. Because it's not going to be, I mean, I don't think, I mean, who, who knows when, neither of us are medical experts, but, you know, there's gonna, not going to come a day where suddenly everybody goes back to work. Like, okay, it's we're all clear. Everybody just go back to what we were doing before. You know, it's going to be some months at least worth of gradually phasing in and adapting to new behaviours. And one of those will be, of course, we're going to want to save the costs if we possibly can. You know, and and just the efficiencies. I mean, not just the you know journey to work for commuting, but also the the international commuting and all that. That's bound to go. There, there are two traveling scenarios that guys have mentioned to me when I've just been talking to clients in the last week, which I think are quite interesting um, because they're problematic with this. One is um, I spoke to a couple of commercial directors who are sales guys, really their, you know, their, their excellence is they like to be in the room. They like to know whether, you know, this chief exec has a dog, you know, and how many children and, you know, all that stuff that you and, and, and you want to mirror their physical reaction and you want to, you know, kind of really feel like you've got that personal connection and that's what helps you do the deal. And that very difficult to do that online, very difficult to do that without being able to sort of really be in the same space as someone. And the other one that um, is definitely a sort of a business risk is we had got into a place where you know, flying teams around the country, around the world, you know, and all the entourage that goes with them. So whether that be Premier League teams doing, you know, big tours of China or, or whether it be, you know, um, even just sort of more local examples of that, uh, it, it, there's all sorts of, mm, okay, that's going to take a while to get back into gear, you know, before people are comfortable with, right, we're going to have the team and then all the other people and they're all going to get on the train together and they're all going to go at the same time. You know, it's kind of, right, I think, I think that, 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 
might see some changes in those kind of business behaviors as well. You know, because we're all, I don't know about you, but I think most people are a little bit kind of, okay, enough with the video chat all day long now. You know, there's only so much time I can stare at a Zoom or a Google Meet or a whatever. Um, and I kind of wonder whether augmented reality, uh, sorry, not augmented, virtual reality, you know, sort of put on a headset and feel like someone standing beside you. I wonder if that's going to be sort of come forward, come through a bit more. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that was exactly the question I was going to ask you, actually, was, was is that where it goes you know I, I remember when oculus and all these guys released you know it was that sort of 2012 and it felt like 2012 2013 and it felt I, I mean i honestly at that point thought wow this is going to take over and it just and it hasn't and <coughs> i think it hasn't had the right use cases for me if we're looking at a year without fans in stadiums like that is too big an opportunity for for virtual reality mm-hmm. not to take you know i would happily spend you know three four five hundred quid on a vr headset and a hundred quid subscription 200 quid subscription to be able to feel like i'm sat in stanford bridge now if i could sit there next to a mate of mine who's also got a vr headset on in his house and we're having a conversation while it looks like we're sat in whichever seat we want in the grounds like for me that's the big opportunity here is to is to innovate um and You know, I would. I th- Go on. Sorry, I was going to say you. You only you that, that, those key phrases about you know crisis always bring opportunities, um, and I'm always reminded. I'm partly because it's an, another one of our clients. Um, you know, the only reason I know anything about NFL is because uh, in the when was it mid '80s for about I think it was three or four years. Uh, there was some sort of um, uh, rights dispute. I think it might have been a strike. But the result was that there was no Premier League football on, or as it was then, uh, first uh, division football on the television. And the result of that was that Channel 4 bought up the rights for the NFL and a whole bunch of, well, guys now in their mid to late 40s. You know, we were, were, what we're going to watch as live TV or what we're going to watch as, you know, the highlights on a Sunday night. And it was NFL. And suddenly everybody was into Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins and all that stuff. And, you know, and it's kind of, if you take a thing, you're absolutely right. If you take a thing out of the equation, something else will inevitably, you know, fit in there. And could it be virtual reality? I mean, maybe. I I haven't haven't been around those systems, um, well, in the last 12 months or so. But before that, you know, I was was pretty up to date with all the things that were being developed. And there were some really interesting um, opportunities. And, you know, they were managing to get over the sickness, the seasickness issue that, you know, you get particularly with older users such as myself. Um, you know, and I think the games, looking at what the games sector does around it. So, you know, I mean, if you're, I don't know how much you game, but if you use Twitch a lot or if you use Discord a lot, that that comfort that gamers have with just being online with other people and having ways of interacting, you know, the chat sessions, it was really interesting watching um, other entertainment people shift towards Twitch. And it's and it's I mean it's something that we we you know we work a fair bit with Twitch. It's really interesting watching them do that. They're 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 all and not just esports either. They're they're shifting to using Twitch because it gives you that ability to have multi layered interaction going on with the audience, so people can kind of feel like they're hanging out and doing it. Yeah, I mean, they must be doing very well right now, Twitch. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of demand. I mean, they, they, we're we're helping them with you know sort of making sure they're in contact and with all the right people and developing the right services um, for for sport for traditional sport. Um, actually, there is one other example, one other thing that I wanted to mention around this. 
you know, you know, Secret Cinema. Yeah. Yes. So Secret Cinema on Friday night, my wife and I did a Moulin Rouge after party, and we went when they did the Moulin Rouge, whenever it was, eighteen months ago, or whatever. They did a show of that, and we we went to that one. We had a great time. And so the Moulin Rouge after party on Friday night was kind of we were. I mean, I went into it partly as a well, you know, give it a whirl. It was it was like a tenner each, and the money was going to charity anyway, so fine. And uh, it was a Zoom meeting for two. I think it was almost two and a half hours. There were maybe half a dozen um, actors who were acting as hosts. You know, one of whom was DJing throughout. Uh, and there were all sorts of like interactions and fun things to do. And I would say there was, I think I saw the peak at almost 500 Zoom participants. Um, and in most cases, they were in groups of twos and threes and occasionally fours. So probably 700, 750, something like that, people. Um, you know, even if we say, you know, not everybody was there all the time and all that sort of stuff. And even though it was an odd experience, because, you know, you were sitting in your front room dressed up a bit, you know, we hadn't dressed up a lot, but, you know, dressed up. some people were really gone for it, you know, dressed up in your front room, having a drink and hanging out with, oh, whatever it is, 600, 700, 800 other people who are all, you know, where there's a DJ and there's a compare and there's a, you know, all that sort of stuff's going on. And we felt like we had a night out. And it's, it's bizarre how, how even that weird experience was great fun and it gave us the opportunity to sort of connect and feel like oh we're not just doing our normal entertainment we're doing something a bit different and would you I mean, I, would you one. do that Sorry. after this still like was it a good enough experience that you would do it even if there was an option to actually go to the event would you let's say it was 30 quid to go to the event but 10 quid to watch on you know to participate online do you think they will carry on that or as soon as it goes back do you think they'll just shove it back to being a physical event i think well i, th- I think the economics around it would be would be difficult but then again you know the secret cinema tickets are more like you know 70 or 80 or 100 quid i mean they're they're so so yes a tenor to do that would be possible the 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 guys at um rematch i don't know if you come across rematch have you come across them so they they are well it's a i really i came up with the idea originally but i'm you know that the company is run by a guy called les seven brown and he basically they did last year um they did the Wimbledon 1980 rematch and it was a whole festival and a whole uh you know there was a show and it just won um the campaign magazine you know creative event of the year which was amazing and the the team on it did such a great job um but they've been taking saying okay well how do we exist in this hiatus in this weird world you know what can we do online all these sports are doing streaming of classic games and matches you know how do we develop a product which is uh, exists alongside a stream you know something that can can bring that back to life you know have family entertainment built into it um, whether that be you know it's euro 96 or it's wimbledon again or whatever it is and i think there's there's a really good opportunity to bring in a product there that is um you know, I guess it's always going to be second tier to actually going to a live game, but it de- it definitely is a sort of a, a new form of entertainment. Which, I, you know, I, I think the experience can be something really interesting and and uh, and and a bit different as well. Yeah, I I, I agree. So, I, just going back to your NFL point, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this. So, Bundesliga have obviously announced this morning that they're looking to restart on the fifteenth of May. So, it looks like they will be 
apart from the Bulgarian league, will be the first major league to to get back going. Now, not talking about whether they should or shouldn't, because we're not we're not obviously doctors. Um, but going back to the opportunity you said around, well, there was no Premier League, and so the NFL jumped in. Like, do you think that's a big opportunity for Bundesliga right now? They might have a week or two ahead where people might choose you know, a, a German team to follow, for example, and, and, and maybe German football gets a big boost from this going forward? Well, I think, so I'm told, I mean, you, you, I think we talked about this before, I am not the world's biggest football fan. I wasn't really brought up on it. I don't, I never say I'm a fan fan because, you know, I think certainly in the UK, if you say you're a fan, you better know your stuff and I don't. <laughs> so, um, but I'm told by, you know, real football fans that, uh, that, people feel bereft you know they feel really i mean to the point um sam made at the beginning about you know the sort of emotional impact that there is a sense that the the mental health and well-being and emotional well-being of the country needs something to connect with and that in our in the uk that is something that really kind of bonds society together so um so there is that need to um uh, uh to connect and therefore you might follow a German team for a bit but I don't think that's going to create a I mean it would need to go on for years it worked for the NFL in the 80s because it was years you know um, over the games a few weeks I don't think it'll make a big difference and I don't think also that people in the Bundesliga will see that as ah we should press ahead I think the last I think they've got much more important concerns you know they're worried about what do we do with the players you know, if you had an if you had a broadcast, you'd need to have an OB truck. If you have an OB truck, you've got to have twenty people staffing it. Where are they going to park? What are they going to do? Who's going to? How are they going to? You know, eat and you know all that sort of stuff. It all just means more people, more risk, more you know uh, uh, concern. And therefore, I think all the sports organisations are going to be really concerned about that primarily. And then you know, I mean, even with the Bundesliga, um, Angela Merkel has you know made various comments along the way about whether we're quite ready for. Um, you know things things that go ahead so i mean i'm sure the sports organizations want to move as fast as they can but they're all trying to do it in a sort of the safest possible way um you know for for all the what do they call it the human first approach whilst at the same time knowing that well the quicker we get in gear like the more the economics will kick back in and then we can sustain people's jobs and you know all those all that kind of very real stuff and let's be honest the eyes of europe and 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 the world will sort of be on germany to see you know how it how it reacts i think and how the people react in a sense of will the fans be then you know storming out to try and get outside the ground at least or wherever the neutral grounds let's say they do that setting that they're talking about here how will they react will they be then you know sort of throwing caution into the wind of how they go and try and support their team in a way that they can't actually do like um you know i i think there's a big thing around that like i think it was italy where i saw one ground had been shut down and the next thing you knew all the fans were standing outside the ground instead so then what's the strain and what's the what's the I guess what the pressures put on the public services as well you know the police and um, the health services when things like that get uh, unleashed as well so it, the the eyes of the world will very much be on Germany with that um, it'll be interesting there will be there's 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 how do you learn but the, the other interesting thing here is also that uh, everybody's that, that we've always got this tendency to say oh well it's all just you know the same scenario. I think there's a lot of people like, oh, well, you know, I don't know, Sweden's opened up or whatever. Um, and the reality is that every country has a different, very complicated set of variables 
that that you know when did you start the lockdown how many people in your population how big is your national health service or etc etc like every single variable means that the decisions about the timing and what works and what doesn't have to be individually taken um i mean you're totally right everybody would have their eyes on any of the major leagues who opened up and and, and be um watching very closly but you know sort of welfare of attendees welfare of, uh, of the athletes etc etc and that's always going to be the primary concern i think so just I'm, I'm just aware of time. Um, there's, there's something I, would, I want to ask you around leadership specifically. So, so from an internal point of view, you're obviously leading a, a substantial agency. Um, lots of lots of people, lots of concerns, lots of uncertainty. How how have you personally found leadership during this period? At a time when everybody wants someone to have the answer, nobody's got the answer. But you know, you need to have some semblance of that because you're obviously people are looking to you to lead so how have you personally found the last six or seven weeks from a leadership point of view what's your style been has it has it just been very open what's how have you how have you found it and is it different to to maybe before uh i think that this is the time when you reap the reward for the way you always normally communicate and I mean, luckily, from our point of view, there's. I mean, there. Sure, I'm. I'm like notionally the leader of the company, but the reality is, you know, we've got a very strong management team, and um, and so that sort of uh, as transparent as we possibly can be, as immediate as we possibly can be, and also having a very, you know, very much a culture of um, uh, sort of, I guess, challenge. You know, is is a thing that we've always fostered and encouraged is for people to be able to sort of respectfully challenge uh, upwards, backwards, downwards, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and so we're we're very much sort of reaping the benefits of that. You know, there, there's been little things like, um, you know, Neil and I. Neil Neil's my partner in our RMD. Neil, Neil and I, you know, very early on, we had a, a list of just making sure we talk to members of the team because it's so easy that somebody just happens to not talk to anybody that day you know, and uh, because they just didn't happen to be in all the meetings. So we just wanted to make sure that, you know, in the early days, it was just about staying in contact, staying in contact, um, and then constantly having, you know, regular check-ins, making sure that you kind of, I guess during crisis, you just over-communicate. We've been doing, you know, just more on the, and here's a company update. Even, I mean, our, our Friday meeting that we had last Friday, I did a company update section because I thought it was good to do one. There wasn't actually much of a company update. And and that was kind of okay. Everybody says, all right, well, you know, what you're saying is we're still pushing ahead. The plan's still the same. And we still know what we're doing. And, you know, equally, if you have any concerns and worries, then flag them up and make sure we talk to them and that kind of stuff. So, I, I mean, I feel like we were in a reasonably good shape. And also, I guess, also being a digital company and the ability for our work, which must be the same with you, the ability for our work to be able to be done online you know, most of the time anyway, that's hugely helpful. If we, if we were more based around, you know, a physical product or, or the need to be um, sat right beside each other, then that might be more challenging. But, you know, it's so far it's been, I think, I think it's been okay. But you, having said that, you should probably talk to the, um, talk to the seven leaguers because they're the ones who tell you whether I've been doing a good enough job. Yeah, I'm sure you have. I, I know your style and, and I, I, I completely agree. I think openness and, and communication is, is is absolutely the key um and and it's you know there's no one's got the answer so you know you just tell people what you do know and you know sort of own what you don't and i think most people accept it we've actually had you know we i've been very surprised we've had a couple of people 
you know, um, in our teams. I've had several of them reach out to me privately and just say, you know, I think the way you guys have dealt with this has been great. And, and we haven't done anything special. We've just done exactly what you've said. We've just been open and honest with what's going on. Um, and and I, I think that's all you can do. I did have one uh, one friend who um, quite brilliantly um, didn't know that when you say you're going to do Netflix and chill on a Friday night, that is actually, uh, you know, the young people tell me that that's a euphemism. Um, but uh, this, 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 particular, this particular individual did not know this at the point at which she um, communicated to her entire team uh, in this, she's in a massive organization and, you know, her unit's like a hundred people or whatever. And she was merrily telling the youngsters that if they perhaps weren't quite, you know, feel, fully feeling the work that day, then it was perfectly okay to Netflix and chill, you know? <laughs> oh my God, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I won't push you to name them. Yeah, apparently, apparently the the chat, the the chat they were having in the background, you know, all the, apparently everybody just went hilarious, just rolling on the floor laughing because it... It was the boss who just encouraged them to, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. You haven't made any faux pas like that in our company meetings yet, Aaron, so it's no, all good. Well, give it time. <laughs> <laughs> just just wait for one. Well, I mean, I mean, talking on that, it's the, you, yourself, you've even made the change that our company meetings have now become, you know, more Q&A sessions, really, because obviously there's not there's only a certain level that we can even, you know, discuss exactly what's going on in, a, in so to speak isn't that right so yeah i think yeah we you know people people think about things that you don't necessarily think and so you get some quite um odd questions in a way um just because it's very personal to someone and so i think having that forum where people can ask anything literally anything um i think it's really really good we you know we're keeping them weekly. We'd, we'd probably keep them as we come out of it, to be honest. I think um, the more information we can share, the better. Um, okay, I'm, I'm very aware that we're going to make Richard late, um, but really, really appreciate your time. Is there one bit of advice that you would give um, somebody either running an agency or a business right now who may be scared about being seen to be profiteering maybe uncertain about what's going on what what is your your sort of best bit of advice um maybe if it's specifically around agency um owners you know how how can these smaller agencies who are seeing clients talk about oh we're not sure a bit uncertain how can they how can they push their clients to keep going and to to stay active Blimey. I mean, this is the moment where I'm very conscious that I've only ever been in one agency and it's, it's this one. So I'm, my agency experience is pretty, pretty limited, really. Um, you say that, Richard. It, it, it does involve pretty much every sports rights holder on the planet. I mean, it's, it's fairly extensive, even if it is within that one yeah, agency. Yeah, no, no, no it's, it's doing all right. But uh, it's still, you know, in terms of the actual agency experience, um, I would say that... I think it's what we were just talking about in terms of transparency. You know, you'll be as transparent as you possibly can be, you know, within the bounds of propriety and all the rest of it, but as much as you can be with the client about where you're at, where they're at. I mean, the main thing we've been, our main sort of mantra has been, you know, just sort of um, client confidence, you know, just looking after them, making sure they're in the right place, making sure they're confident that we're in the right place, you know, and that we're there to support and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then that they, close relationships that you have with 
you know, many great clients means that actually they know you're on the right side and they know that you're trying to help them through a difficult period. And so um, that, that just sort of, that just puts you in a good place. Of course. Right. Um, I, I think this uh, wraps up really nicely and we'll let you uh, get on with your day, Richard. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, if you wanted to find out more about Richard and the work 7league 7league.co.uk uh, go and check them out and uh, the work that they've got going on and of course a bit more about Richard as well um, for myself and Aaron you can find us at the Goat Agency uh, or of course on YouTube or LinkedIn where you can catch our daily vlog as well please do stay safe and stay indoors and listen to podcasts why not 